I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka Sounds of Science. Today I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Katherine Mayer, Assistant Professor at the College of Medicine at Ohio State University and Principal Investigator at the Center for Gene Therapy at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Her lab seeks to create innovative therapeutics, including gene therapies, to treat neurodegenerative diseases. She's here to talk about the challenges associated with gene therapies, AAV therapies in particular, and ways we can overcome those challenges to help patients. Welcome, Catherine. Uh, thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you too, and I get to say words like neurodegenerative, which helps with my diction <laughs> and overall in general. <laughs> So can we start off with a bit about your background? What brought you to this line of research? Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Switzerland, so you'll hear my Germanish accent. I did a PhD in molecular and cellular biology. Um, I was always interested in biology, but not necessarily um, in some of the other topics that come with um, natural sciences, such as math and physics. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the interest in biology overweight and I managed to to get through all of this and get my PhD. I did a very basic research back in Switzerland, which was very good for my background, but I always wish to help people with Mm -hmm. what I do. I'm very passionate about that. And that's really what drew me into translational research. Um, I got to work on a, a disease called spinal muscular atrophy in Switzerland. And I always loved the the concept of gene therapy, which is really trying to adapt and learn from nature and use uh, something that nature is really good at, infecting cells, for our advantage. So that's how I ended up in, in gene therapy. So is it fair to say that you were always a curious scientific kid? Correct. I was always very <laughs> curious, and I never took um, that's how it is for an answer. I always needed to know more about it. That's a very good quality in a scientist. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> So what exactly are AAV gene therapies? Like starting with, what does AAV stand for? So AAVs are adeno-associated viruses. Those are uh, very small viruses that are not known to cause any disease in humans, which makes them a good candidate to work with. Um, They travel together with other viruses, so they they depend in nature on other viruses to Hmm. to travel and infect. Um, And AAV gene therapy is basically just using the outside um, of these viruses, the structure, to deliver a content, really just like a package um, that you want to to get to a friend. Um, The cardboard would be the AAV outside, and then we put inside whatever we want to deliver. That's perfect. So basically, you just use the shell and can deliver the genes right where they belong? Correct. Correct. Hopefully where they belong. Yeah. (laughs) So what are the benefits of AAV therapies over other kinds of gene therapies? Yeah. So it depends what you want to do with the gene therapy. There are other very good systems, but I think the particular application most interesting for AAVs is delivering the required gene in the body to large organs, such as the nervous system or the muscular system, because You can't really take those cells out of the body, fix them, and then make sure they're fine and put them back in. And that is a problem for some of the other vector systems that are used, which are either 
a bigger problem for the immune system or can cause cancer because they integrate into the genome. So the AAVs are really at the moment the best fit for um, in vivo, in body gene therapy of large organs. This is kind of just a mechanical question, but I'm curious, how do you deliver the gene therapies? Is it through injection? Um, so yeah, there is different routes of uh, delivery. So injection either into the bloodstream or directly into the spinal fluid, or in some circumstances with more local applications, one can also directly uh, deliver the, the virus into the uh, parenchyma, so into the tissue of the brain, for example. But there are also applications that are developed where you can spray the AAV solution um, as a nasal spray. Oh, interesting. All right, so what are some of the challenges of AAV gene therapies? So one of the challenges are is uh, the size that we can package. Unfortunately, these viruses are relatively small, um, so there's a lot of genes that we can't package into them because they are too big. Mm. Um, other challenges are uh, production and purification, so we need actually living cells to make these viruses for us and getting rid of um, whatever else is coming out of that solution that doesn't belong to the virus, but is part of the cells, mm -hmm. is critical in order to make sure you have a clean product and don't get immune re reactions to it. Um, another issue is you know, the, the dose, um, how much do you need to give to target as many cells as possible, but only or hopefully limited to where you want to dose and not you know, everywhere in the body. Mm -hmm. um, and then the safety that comes along with that, you know, very high doses can still cause severe immune reactions. Um, and they can also be, you know, targeting of other cell types. And so the delivery, the distribution of the virus is still something that, that needs to be figured out in order for an optimal gene therapy. And since you specialize in neurodegenerative diseases, what are some of the challenges associated with gene therapies for those? Yeah, so it's actually very good. One of the good aspects for neurodegenerative diseases is that uh, neurons don't divide. And so the, the genes that we're delivering using AAVs, they don't integrate into the genome. And therefore, if you target an organ where the cells are dividing rapidly, you can actually lose your gene therapy over time mm. because it gets diluted out in the nervous system at least in the neurons, that is less of a concern. Um, a challenge is though that in the nervous system, in degenerative diseases, there is a lot of inflammation um, which can impact the efficacy of the treatment. So let's say you treat the neurons that are there, but if the rest of the cells are already very upset and don't function properly, that can mm. be impacting your efficacy. So the timing of treatment is really, really crucial. And the earlier we treat, the better, so that there is less damage to deal with. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times the best that a patient can hope for is, you know, preventing further degradation. Um, so that that would be kind of the goal of something like that? Correct. So, yeah. and, and we don't really know exactly in many cases what can we expect because all the diseases are different. Mm -hmm. A lot of the diseases are rare, so we're lacking... The, the natural history, we don't completely understand necessarily all the cell types, all the neurons that we have to target. So it's a, it's a very young field, gene therapy. There is still a lot to learn um, to further optimize the therapies. I mean, we have some amazing results, but 
um, I, I do anticipate, you know, that there might be some, there already were some issues on the way, and there might be more issues on the way, but those issues will, will allow us to understand better what we need to change in the future. Can you think of an example of a gene therapy for a neurological disease um, that you can kind of give us as an example of one that has either worked or, or not worked without obviously violating client or patient privacy? Right. Um, I, th I think one that hasn't worked is, is more difficult because sometimes it takes a long time and a, a lot of these clinical trials are still ongoing. Um, you know, so Gensma definitely is a, is a huge success story when you see children that should be paralyzed, that can sit, can move their arms or even walk. Um, that is a huge success story. And thinking about this is just a single treatment, right? Mm -hmm. This this is one of the two um, AAV gene therapies that is FDA approved. The other one is Luxturna, which is also absolutely exciting, where children that you know have barely any vision um, are able to see more, especially during uh, evening times when it's dark. Um, that is very very exciting as well. So you mentioned uh, issues like you know targeting the right cells and you know dosage. How can researchers break through some of these obstacles? Right. I, I think there is a lot of research and as well as many biotech companies that are working very hard on these ob obstacles. They're finding new and more effective um, capsids, which is the surface of the virus, to see whether we can reduce the doses or get to more cells that we need to target. Um, also, in terms of manufacturing, there is a lot of exciting, exciting developments. Um, I think many of these will bear fruit in the next couple of years, but we need to be a little bit patient. I think one of the most important things is to ask the right questions and, and not just accept a status quo. Um, ask yourself, is that, have we really understood why something works or doesn't work? Um, and were the right experiments done and the right comparisons? And do we really know why something failed? I think that is very important. Failure, actually, while unfortunate, is really important. Um, and we need to analyze them very closely so that we can learn from them. If we understand what went wrong or what didn't work, then we can actually find better paths forward. And that's some, I think it's often overlooked in a way, in research, because nobody's interested in negative results. Everybody always gets very excited about positive results, and then the negative results don't get enough attention. No, you're absolutely right. And I think it's part of the, you know, I guess the publisher parish mindset where you want to show off your successes, but you don't, I, you know, sometimes a research paper about a failure could be just as valuable, um, like Correct. you said. Yeah. Yes. It will be extremely valuable because oftentimes we don't know what other people already tried and, and that it didn't work. And so then resources are wasted. Yeah, you're right. I've, I've mentioned that before on the podcast where it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, talk about the failures. It's just really, really useful to know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely is. Yeah. I mean, uh, and the other aspect I would say that is really important is to think outside the box. Uh, sometimes in research, um, people tend to just accept certain things and then just walk forward within their own shoes, their own realm of research. But in my experience, 
um, when interdisciplinary teams come together to really think about a aspect or a problem from various sides, it, it is just becomes a very different beast and very innovative new ideas can be generated. So to find these four partners that are willing to just forget about the things we know and just assume we don't know and come up with new ideas, I think that is really important. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, especially when you get to this this insanely detailed level of research where people need this very specialized knowledge in order to, you know, advance their own field, but that means they don't have as much time to brush up on all the other aspects of medical science that might go into helping something be a success. So yeah, an interdisciplinary approach is is crucial, I think. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you also mentioned uh, in passing manufacturing, and I, I, I've used this analogy before, but it's kind of like when, you know, electricity was invented. When they started figuring out how to power things with electricity, there weren't suddenly power lines and power cables sprung up all over the country overnight. So manufacturing, I feel like, is the same thing for these gene therapies. You need to figure out the infrastructure, but you need to have the, the science down first. Um, and they kind of they kind of go in parallel. Correct. Correct. Yeah. What are some of your personal research successes? So one of the things that has been extremely gratifying to me is that I was involved in bringing five um, AV gene therapies to the clinic, first as a postdoc in Dr. Casper's lab, but then also independently with my own team. Um, and more to come. And, you know, being able to participate in that journey to getting a therapy to the clinic that simply hasn't existed before. Mm-hmm. And for a disease where previously there were simply no treatment options, mm-hmm. often in the rare disease space, that is extremely gratifying and, and beautiful. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very proud of my team. They've been working very hard. That's wonderful. And I was, uh, I, that reminded me of a question that people often ask about gene therapies is how long can they last? And of course, that depends on the therapy and the, and the disease it's treating. But what, what are your thoughts on that just as a general, like how long do gene therapies last for the patient? Yes, um, it's a very tough question, um, yeah. <laughs> especially for the AAV gene therapies. Mm-hmm. Um, again, yeah, we'll be heavily dependent on the organ to treat and you know if it's if it's non-dividing cells versus dividing cells that's going to make a big difference um but then even in non-dividing cells we don't know exactly how long these AAVs can last they should be lasting for for many years i mean we have follow-ups of in clinic of five years and more now uh, with good results um but nobody knows if mm-hmm. 20 25 years later um, the gene therapies will still be working. And in some cases, it's also difficult to say because in certain proteins are highly expressed in children or babies, but are mm-hmm. less important at later time points. So even when you would lose some of the effectiveness, that doesn't necessarily mean at a later time point it will have the, the same effect on your disease. Um, when it comes to out-of-the-body gene therapies that you can do on blood cells, for example, mm-hmm. There, usually, people oftentimes use uh, systems, vector systems that integrate into the genome, so you would permanently alter the cells, and that can be lasting a very long time. Hmm. 
So speaking of research failures, what are some of your personal research setbacks and what did you take away from them? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the the things that I think are major setbacks, again, have to do with the field being very young. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, we don't know why there are certain patients maybe that don't respond the same way as others. If you look at, you know, the, the published data, not all the kids, even if they were dosed early on, have the same extent of efficacy. So we don't really understand why that is the case. And maybe there are patients out there that don't respond as all at all. And it might have to do that with us not completely understanding the disease, mm-hmm. or we don't understand the differences in the immune system or the vector uptake. So there's definitely still a lot to learn from, from that aspect. So when, when, when we see that a patient doesn't respond, um, that's always very sad, of course, to us. And mm-hmm. we don't want that to happen. We would like every patient to have the maximal benefit from the treatment because those treatments are usually just a one-time off chance uh, for, for success. Yeah, that's a good point. So what are you working on now that you can tell us about? So we're working on several gene therapy projects for both neurodegenerative and neurological diseases. Um, and some are relatively close to get into the clinic, which I'm excited about. We're also working on really thinking about trying to address some of the issues that, that haven't been addressed in, in particular, understanding the role of additional cell types. So neurons are oftentimes the most prominent cell type that, that is affected in the disease, but there are other cells in the brain that could participate to the disease. And in, in many cases, we don't understand whether they need to be treated as well or not. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a big topic in my lab. And we, we do uh, a lot of in vitro work. So we get cells from the patients that we culture in a mm-hmm. tissue culture dish. And we can compare um, the responses to treatment in the context of different mutations. That is another thing I think is really important because just because a patient has a mutation in the same protein doesn't mean that the different mutations have the exact same outcome. And that might be another thing that we miss out on mm. if we don't understand it. And then lastly, um, we're very, very interested in the delivery approach. We, we, we know that we can get the virus to the brain efficiently, mm-hmm. but at the moment, the systems that are used with the different injection routes, they all lead to hotspots. So there are certain areas in the brain that are targeted very well, and then there are certain areas in the brain that aren't targeted very well. Mm-hmm. And it is it increases the risks because you have those hotspots with very high expression in order to get enough to the other areas that are badly targeted. Mm -hmm. So systems that would allow for an even distribution would be really, really valuable. And I work with a company called Alcyon Therapeutics that I think has a really interesting approach uh, to deliver the AVs to the nervous system. And hopefully that will, uh, that collaboration uh, will turn out to be successful. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed for you. That sounds like an incredibly valuable place to focus research on. Yes, absolutely. We're excited about it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Catherine. Um, I'm always eager to learn more about these gene therapies. They really seem, you know, in some ways like miracles, but also like incredibly fiddly and complicated. (laughs) (laughs) That is is very well put. (laughs) 
Yeah, but again, the more we learn, the better. I mean, think about the car industry, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the in the beginning, those were also probably very fiddly and complicated to use, and now uh, look how far we've come. I mean, those are very very sophisticated machines that can even park themselves. <laughs> yeah. Or if you've seen the most recent Fast and the Furious movie, they can go to space. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. And we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. You too.